0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash loss. So that's what Tropicana Field sounds like in October when it's packed with Rays fans for playoff baseball. The Rays staved off elimination with Charlie Morton going five innings, allowing just one run in a 10-3 win over the Houston Astros to force Game 4 today in St. Petersburg, or perhaps tonight. We'll talk about that in a minute, but the Astros, of course, lead the series two games to one. Tampa Bay trailed one to nothing when Jose Altuve led off the game with a home run, but it was Kevin Kiermaier who woke up the ghost of Rays playoff games past with his three-run home run in the second off. Zach Grenke. the Astros, so impressed that they've decided to start ace Justin Verlander on three days rest for the first time in his career today. Diego Castillo will be the opener for the Rays, uh, but it's going to be a mix-and-match day for them. We'll talk about game three and get you ready for game four in the Bucks. They have a whole new right side of their offensive line by the time they touch down in London. Right tackle DeMar Dotson expected to be out with calf and hamstring injuries. And Alex Kappa played the second half of Sunday's loss at New Orleans with a broken left arm. And that could knock him out for about a month. We'll tell you who will replace them. We've got all of that, some college football, of course, on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Burstick. And Steve, you, of course, were at Tropicana Field for the Rays game you got to uh, witness the uh, the crowd, the excitement, even almost got hammered by a foul ball that I heard on the radio. We'll get into that in just a second. Um, but first of all, you know, there's not been a, a ton. What do we count, 15? This is the 15th playoff win in Rays history, so it's rare indeed. And it's been obviously a long time since the Rays have hosted a playoff game. But what was that like? You know, I only heard it on TV, on radio it sounded deafening in there. It did, especially when Kiermaier hit the home run
1: to go up three mm-hmm. to one. Then it really got rocking. I mean, and the good part was is there was thirty two thousand two hundred and change at the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Rays opened up the upper deck and then they started pulling tarps off, and they could be up to I think thirty five thousand tonight if yeah if they sell out all the tickets that they have available. It was all Rays fans. It wasn't you know usually when you get the trop that loud and you have that many fans in there, There's it's three-quarters or, you know, three-quarters raise and 50, a quarter 50, Red yeah. Sox or 50-50 with mm-hmm. Yankees. This was, you know, 90, 95% raise, if not more. Mm. And so, I mean, you know, they had the, the yellow towels waving. Um, it was – that's – you know, I, the players had to have been loving it. I mean, that's, that's what they experienced in Houston the last two nights, in Oakland um, yeah. for the wild-card game. And for them to come home to the Trop and hear it that loud. And, and, and look, that dome helps. I mean, you know, it helps keep sounding and can make it even louder. And and it was – you know, Kiermaier hit the home run when you had the G-Man Choi chants later in the game. Um, you know, it was it, uh, that was really cool, too. That was an organic chant that just kind of started in the crowd of G-Man Choi. G-Man mm. Choi. And it wasn't like the scoreboard prompted you to say that or anything else. The crowd just – started chanting that. And that, that's, you know, that's when it's really fun when the crowd's getting into the games too. And, of course, a lead at that point helped. But, you know, that that crowd was ready
0: to erupt today, and they did. Oh, and you think about it, it's been six years since they were in a postseason game and um, probably, you know, longer than that since they've won one at the Trop for sure. Um, but that whole team as a group have not experienced that together. I think Kiermaier's first at bat might have been in a postseason in the major leagues. Um, you know, when he was first coming up. So he's the only player that's been there long enough to really remember the Rays, you know, being in the postseason that's in that clubhouse. Now there's obviously a lot of guys that have experience starting with Charlie mm-hmm. Morton and some others. But, I mean, really for this group, they've never experienced that. They've experienced what you talked about. Some some big crowds, 20,000 or so, um, you know, usually a split crowd between the Yankees the Red Sox or somebody like that. Um, but they all commented on it. And you're right. It was, you know... Altuve hits a home run to start the game, and Charlie Morton, you know, throws too many pitches to to start the game. Um, And you're thinking, eh, you know, he's not going to be out there long. And it's nervous time because it's an elimination game. And then, you know, Avasil Garcia gets a base hit. Travis Darno is hit by a pitch. And when Kiermaier hit that ball, I'm I'm listening to it on radio, and just from the sound of the crowd um, after it was struck, and, of course, you know, I don't know. Remember, I think it was uh, I think it was Andy Free. Maybe that was on the call. Um, but you're you know you're giving it that without seeing it. You're giving it that 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 sounds like the crowd thinks it's gone. You know what I mean? Like almost off the bat. And sure enough, it was. And they talked about it. And I saw it later how Kiermaier is between first and second base, and he leaps like a like it's mm-hmm. a walk off home run. Yep. I mean, there you know that that excitement in that crowd was going so loud, and he was so pumped up by it um that you can't even really describe what he did he sort of just kind of flew uh, and pumped his arms in the air well let's, let's start landed. before that let's start before that so
1: avasel garcia gets that the first hit that inning yeah and as he's running to first base he is pumping his fist looking at the dugout kind of imploring them come on let's go
0: let's go This start yeah.
1: you know it's time to start something and they yeah. had not had a lead in the series I mean, no. Verlander and Cole were shoving it up their rear ends the first two games. Yeah. And it wasn't until late in the games they got to the bullpen, they started scoring anything. Right, right. So, you know, Garcia's going to first, and you see him, you know, imploring the bench, let's go, let's go. Mm-hmm. Darno yeah. then gets the hit, and then Kiermaier the home run. And yeah, I mean, if, it, I saw a still shot of how high he was up. You know, he, oh, might well, he might as well have been robbing
0: a home run at that point. Yeah, it was hilarious. And, and, and that just flipped the switch, right? The energy, the place was lit, it never stopped being lit. The players will all tell you that they fed off that energy. I think baseball, as much as any any sport, I think that you can truly feel a home crowd advantage, um, you know, both in the field and, and at the plate. There's just a confidence that kind of pulsates. And, and you know, listening to Matt Duffy after the game, he was saying everyone just kind of relaxed. You know, we, we had a lead. Um, you know, we did something positive. We, you know. Charlie settled down a little bit, and it just felt like everybody didn't have to go up there pressing at the plate. And, of course, they didn't stop. I mean, you know, G-Man Choi hits a home run. You get one from Brandon Lau, of course, and, you know, and it was on, and the route was on. And Morton gives them five strong innings. How about this for Charlie Morton? You want to pitch him in an elimination game? It's not the guy you want to face if you're anybody. He's 4-0 with a 0.95 ERA in elimination games.
1: That's uh, that's tough to beat. I mean, that's that's nails, man. It is. And, and what impresses me more and more about him and it's been all year is, you know, he, he's been wonderful all season and had a low ERA in this, but he gets into so many jams and he works his way oh, out yeah. of it. He it doesn't mm-hmm. getting in a jam doesn't phase him and he doesn't let a mistake, whether it's a, a bad pitch or a defensive mistake behind him or whatever, compound into two or three or four is no matter what the situation is, you know, I mean, even in the first, Altuve gets the home run, then he puts a couple more runners on. And it's why he had 30-some pitches in the first inning. But he got out of it just giving up the one run. And that was so key to keep them in that game. And then so when Kiermaier two innings later gets the, the three-run home run, gives them the first lead, everyone's now relaxed. But had, you know, had they had they got another hit with when they had two on to end the first inning, had they got another hit and scored two runs, say, you know, they get three spot on that, that inning. The whole game's different it's a whole different game at that point. But Charlie Morton only giving up one run in that situation, even though in the first inning he didn't have his best stuff, that was so key to the game.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and I love listening to Morton talk uh, anytime because he's so thoughtful when he says stuff. But, you know, he's he's right. He says, like, there's this balance, this mixture of adrenaline, um, you know, excitement, um, trying to control your emotions, trying to control your pitches, trying to make good pitches, trying to be aggressive, like – it's all sort of mixed in there, right? And, and we saw him, um, you know, in both games that he's pitched, have trouble, you know, locating, you know, throwing strikes. And, you know, he came out and he was throwing, you know, fastball after fastball after fastball, and finally Atuve got a hold of one, um, but he battled, and he was able to get to five innings, which I thought was huge. And then, of course, it sort of, you know, set it up for the Rays. Once they scored enough runs, they didn't have to use all their A bullpen guys they were able to kind of spackle together the rest of the ball game and and win it ten to three and that that's important because today is going to be a day where you know they start with Diego Castillo and they're going to have a lot of guys follow him after that but I I just thought that the Rays you know games like this can carry over but as I say momentum's only as good as the next day's starting pitcher and and oh by the way here comes Justin Verlander which you know they didn't hesitate after the game. Uh, you know, the Astros manager said right away, no, we're going with Verlander. He's the best in the world. They obviously talked about it Mm -hmm. at some point, either during the game or before. Verlander said they talked before. They talked before the game. They talked about that scenario. And and the thing is, is that he wants to end it. You know, A.J. Hinch does not want to see a game five in Houston. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't want it to go that far. He wants to end it now. He's got... He's well, got Verlander and, and well, he's, he's also, he's also he can got get it. Done.
1: He's also got where Garrett Cole is on normal rest for Thursday if they go to game well, that's five. That's exactly right. So, that's the other that's reason exactly is right. if I can use Verlander early, I still got Cole for game five no matter what. That's Correct. his normal Correct. rest. So, it makes yeah. that decision a little easier, even if Verlander can't go seven You're or eight innings, yeah. even if he's only going four or five because of the shorter yeah. rest or whatever. He's okay mm-hmm. with that because he's got Cole for game five.
0: Yeah. And look, I mean, the odds of the Rays coming back and winning this series, winning three in a row by beating Verlander and then beating Cole in Houston aren't real high. I don't know what they would be in Las Vegas, but I don't I don't think I put my mortgage on it. That's for sure. But you know what? It's a it's a day to day business of baseball. Right. I mean, you just that's why you don't know in a short series like this, three out of five, um, if you could even it up and they got, again, you know, home field, a little bit of momentum, maybe some wind at their sails. Let's see what Verlander can do. It's going to be a tough game, though, because he's lights out. They're going to have to grind out at bats. He's such a strike thrower, but he doesn't throw you anything to hit. So you stand up there and you take some pitches and you find yourself 0-2 all day. If you start swinging at him right away, you're going to find yourself with a three-pitch inning. Mm-hmm. So it, he's really a tough customer to try to deal with, and it could be a totally different game. They got, um, they got but, a few
1: runs off him in Houston
0: in the middle of the they season. Did. Now, you know, he
1: pitched lights out game one. Yeah. But they've hit him in the past before. I mean, and they even yeah. asked Verlander post game about um, his history at Tropicana Field. And he goes, Look, I've had some good days, I've had some bad days. He goes, Sure. You know, I, opening day, the first hitter I faced was Austin Meadows. He had a home run off me. He jacked him. Uh, yeah. Now he pitched pretty mm-hmm. well the rest of that game. But, you know, Verlander's had some tough starts in Tropicana Field. And, and and look, the Rays beat the Astros three games in a row at the beginning of the season. They lost again the well, and, and won three in a mm-hmm. row. Now, mm-hmm. playoffs is a little different and everything else, but. Can mm-hmm. this Rays team win three in a row? Yes. Are, are the odds for them? Probably not. I mean, I think the Astros no, but are the here's team the thing. in baseball.
0: But you only, you only got to win one. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, you just you, – you, you don't approach it like we got to win two more. And I think that's what the Rays – you know, they could have been uptight. I think Kevin Cash, you know, there's a story about him sending text messages to mm-hmm. guys like Kiermaier saying, hey, are you going to do anything this month? Um, you know, kind of needling different players to kind of keep them relaxed. And and everyone that I, that I listen to – that were in the race clubhouse, you know this as well, mm-hmm. they said it was just kind of business as usual. Nobody was uptight that it was an elimination game. It was like, yeah, you know, we, we we've lost two before. We can win today. They and said they, Kevin and, Cash
1: uh, texted the lineup to the players like he normally yeah. does. He texted it to them. And like Brendan Lowey had a message like, you're going to get a hit today?
0: Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and
1: sure enough, he gets a home run. But there was no speech in the, the clubhouse beforehand going, you know, this is do or right. die this or we have it, to win boys. today. It yeah. was business as usual, and that's the way they approached mm-hmm. it. That's the way Kevin handled it and the whole organization. And, you know, it was the right thing is, you know, let's just go out there and play a game and let's win one. And then tomorrow, we really worry think, about tomorrow, tomorrow, and hopefully you worry about Thursday yeah. on Thursday.
0: And I really think having Charlie Morton on the mound relaxes people too because he's just been their best pitcher all year. They needed him one more time at least – And he came through in a big way. And so, you know, that can relax you. But that one hit that, you know, and you think about Kiermaier's, you know, sort of career, right? Um, You know, everybody else has has been traded away as far as, you know, the organically grown type player, right? When you lose Evan Longoria and the connection to the old race teams that made the postseason, here was Kiermaier. You know, his first appearance in the big leagues was in a playoff game. But he's their guy, right? He's their franchise guy. if you will, Um, a guy that they signed to a big contract, uh, you know, hasn't had a very good month to say the least, but there will never be, uh, I don't know if there'll never be, but this was clearly not even close. The biggest moment he's ever had as a Ray. And -hmm. it will be remembered that way. You know, I mean, the guy absolutely got them off the deck in the playoffs with this three run bomb and provided a moment for himself, for the fans for the community, and for one day you can forget about all this Tampa to Montreal BS and Stuart Sternberg and all of that. And for one day, Rays fans could feel like they're supposed to feel, and the players can feel like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know what? Maybe this is the way it's supposed to be. Maybe this is the way it's supposed to sound. Mm-hmm. Maybe this, if we could just forget about everything else and, and find a solution to this, hey, what do you know? People really do like baseball in this city. Um, you know. And, and I know – it's easy to say, you know, you got bandwagoners, and it's postseason, and this and that. But I assure you, the ratings will be off the chain on television. Mm-hmm. And that building was energetic, and the next building they build in Tampa Bay would be energetic. And it was just sort of a sort of a moment that Kiermaier provided for Rays fans. Because what if they hadn't had that moment? What if the Astros had gone on to a fairly routine six to two win, and you'd have had a little energy in the beginning of the game, but it could have easily sucked it out of the building as well. Kevin Kiermeyer lit that place up, you know, and they kept it lit, and the fans kept it lit, and, and they kept scoring, and they kept hitting home runs, and that's what it's supposed to be about. You know, I've always said this. The regular season is great in any sport. If you're a fan of the Lightning, we saw what they did last year. If you're a fan of the Bucks, it's been forever, but they've had a couple winning seasons. Um, you know, and obviously the Rays won 90 games a year ago. A lot of good moments during that 90-win season. But the postseason is for the fans. The postseason is for your team is the only game on national TV at that moment. And, and the spotlight is on you. I can't tell you how long, you know, MLB Network went on and on about this ballgame and on and on about the Rays and, you know, um, you know, sort of not just showed the highlights but talked about Morton and talked about Cash and talked about Kiermeyer and talked about Garcia and all these guys. It was really cool. If you're a Rays fan – that's what that's what it means to have your team in the postseason that's all anybody wants is to have a fighting chance to you know to go on and maybe win a world championship so um i hope people savor this and and i'm sure that they'll have another big crowd whenever they play that's another thing we can get into as well what the hell is it with major league baseball that they have to cater so heavily to the new york market or the new york yankee fan or what have you that they can't decide when they know there's going to be a game four at Tropicana Field whether that game's going to be played at 4 o'clock or that game's going to be played at seven ten until they see the result of the twins yankee series.
1: Well, the, what they're trying to do is make sure they have a game in, in, in prime time. But what they need to do is if if two games on tomorrow's schedule, those games need to be the first two games played in the day. The Yankees-Twins should have been the 3 o'clock game, which is when the Cardinals and Braves play. Right. Right? Because because the Rays aren't going to know till midnight. And we're taping this. It's about ten o'clock right now, mm-hmm. and the Yankees game's in the third inning. We're not going to know till midnight what time the Rays play on on Tuesday. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That your starting pitcher. You know, I mean, they asked Verlander, is this, is the starting pitching time going to affect you? And he says w- it's four o'clock, right? And He goes, well, it's four or seven. And he's like, oh, that probably won't affect me, but you know, one o'clock would affect me because of when I want to get up and this and you know, he's got a routine on the days he pitches. and and players have routines and you know there may be
0: players going to bed tonight not knowing what time the game is if they don't stay up it's possible i mean i'm less concerned with the players to be honest with you than i am the fans i mean but the fans too i mean what you're gonna take off yeah i've got like for example i got kids in school right so i gotta decide like if if i'm taking my my daughter to you know to the game you know is is she going right after school or is she gonna have to do her homework and get ready for a seven o'clock game and hope that and stay up all night i mean these are things that you know, people have to get off work. Not everybody's available at four o'clock that but they would be at seven. I mean, why can't you just declare like you said, you know, you can either do what you said or you can just say, Okay, the Rays have a game, we're gonna we're gonna assign a time to them, we're gonna make them the night game, and, and you know, if there's if there's another game, we'll put them in the afternoon, we'll put the Yankees in the afternoon for one day. What's yeah. the big deal? Well if the if the
1: Rays and the Yankees were both in the afternoon then by six o'clock or six that's okay. I can do I can live right. with that. But midnight? Come
0: on. Yeah, it's terrible. That's awful. Not called for whatsoever. Um, So, we'll see what Verlander can can do on three days rest. Of course, I I think he's an absolute stud. Like I said, the problem is you want to get his pitch count up. You want to get into the Astros' bullpen if you can. He's such a strike thrower. He's got four wipeout pitches. But to your point, they've seen him once. I think they'll be a little more relaxed having won a game. They know they can beat the Astros. They've beaten them at Tropicana Field three out of four. Now four out of five this year. Um, so, it's, you know, yep. they certainly have the upper hand there. Well, And they need and, to do a better job fouling off pitches. Yes. You know I mean? He's yes. going to throw strikes. I mean, you know, we'll he's, not, he's not
1: throwing a lot of balls, but you've got to foul off more pitches to make him work hard and to see more that's pitches. Right.
0: You know, that's right. That's how you get him to make mistakes is the more pitches you see, the better chance he's got to make a mistake. That's correct. And so those grind it out at bats, whether you just get it, you know, get a piece and stay alive and, you know, have those seven, eight, nine pitch at bats. Um, even if he does strike you out eventually or get you out so that that pitch count is up and he doesn't have those one, two, three innings where he's just kind of cruising through seven strong and you have no chance of getting him out of the game before the eighth inning. So that's, that's going to be their task. And, uh, and yet, I, I think when the energy's back in the building and as it will be tomorrow, uh, I think that uh, you know, it'll be a continuation of their good feelings and good vibes. And it all started with Kevin Kiermaier. If he doesn't have that moment, I don't know that we're even talking about, you know, really a, a game four in this series. I, it may not have gone that way.
1: Yeah, it's hard to tell. But, uh, you know, he obviously lifted it. And then, the you know, as you said, the team just took it along. But Kiermaier didn't just give him a moment for yesterday. He gave him a moment for today. Because he, he's, mm-hmm. you know, that hit allowed them to get to game four.
0: That's right. So it gives exactly you another right. playoff
1: game, not just one.
0: No, it gives you a total of new memory. and And, you know, there'll be more fans and some that maybe didn't make it to this game. Uh, like myself, I'm going to uh, to game four and bring in my son and his girlfriend. So, yeah, there's more moments, more moments for Tampa Bay baseball fans to share to get inside the trop, and they might even, like you said, they might even have as much as 35,000. And, it, it, you know, with the towels waving, that's something I haven't seen before, you know, in the postseason with the Rays. I thought that was a really cool sight. So, you know, they hopefully that will be They even brought the, uh, BK Jackson today.
1: back to play the National Anthem, who played a lot of the that 08 awesome. playoffs yeah. on the saxophone. That was awesome. To start the the year before awesome. the game, so
0: yeah, no, it was it was all good, man. I it, I enjoyed watching it on TV, enjoyed listening, of course, to Dave and Andy. You were uh, producing that, and so uh, that I got, got a little a foul piece ball. of everything. And you almost got, man, it was so funny. So you know, every now and then you're you're listening to the radio and you hear the announcer go, "Look out!" You know, and you, you hear a, a bang of some kind or a thud, and you know that a foul ball's been hit back towards the radio broadcast booth. Man, this thing was so loud when it hit, hit inside your, uh, your window there or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it struck. You were sitting there. But Dave and Andy immediately start bailing, and they turn around. And I think they – I don't know. They expected the ball to have knocked somebody over? Or what, what, was, what, what actually happened back there? So I sit behind them, and it's elevated. So it's up uh, maybe four
1: feet or so from where they are. Some steps mm-hmm. down to them. So the ball comes back and hits uh, – Chris Miller was sitting in between them. And, and they all duck, and it goes right over his head and, and, and hit the floor or the wall or whatever back there. I think they thought it popped back out of the booth because it'll hit that no, half okay. wall behind him and go out, except it, it hit the floor and popped up right in my lap <laughs> uh, under the table. I mean, it just popped right on my lap, and I had the ball immediately. And they look back thinking it had gone out of the booth. They see me holding the ball going, what? <laughs> How'd you catch that? Did, and did I really you even didn't. see
0: it? or Did, no. did you try to it. I, mean, I, I saw, it, I it, saw it
1: coming, and it wasn't going to hit me. It was a little to the right of me. Oh, uh, okay. You know, I kind of had, I kind of pulled my computer monitor down a little bit. I always protect that first.
0: <laughs> yeah. And,
1: and I saw it wasn't going to hit me, and it just it hit underneath and popped right in my lap. Like, there we go.
0: Well, that's a souvenir <laughs> right there. It's, yes, it is. You know, I mean, that's that's one of the again, one of the rare wins, uh, uh, you know, and it's a playoff baseball and all that. But, yeah, that was that was really loud. That was uh, that was that was almost like you were in the booth with them when you heard it on the radio. I like yep. jumped while I was driving my car. Once again, you know, Justin Verlander on the mound, of course, against Diego Castillo. And they got the A bullpen ready. I mean, they're they're loaded with whether it's Yarborough, probably follow him, I would think, at some point. I'm curious we'll see how they piece it together. I'm curious with like Blake Snell. So oh, he, pitch,
1: he pitched Saturday. Yeah. His normal game time would be Thursday. Okay. But one day in between, and I don't know if he pitches on the second or the third day afterwards, they always throw a bullpen. They got to throw a bully, yeah. Have they had Blake not throw a bullpen so that he's ready, available, to instead of throwing a bullpen, going in and pitching an inning or two to, uh, today? Don't know. Maybe. Could yeah. now go a day earlier? I mean, he went Friday, so Wednesday would be a normal rest. Right. But could he come in even if he's only given you two or three innings because he's on shorter rest? Is he available? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Um, it'll be curious to see how all that plays out. I mean, you know, you'd like to, you know, in an ideal world, you'd like to save both of them for Thursday if you get there, but you got to win when Tuesday. And if you don't win Tuesday, there is no Thursday. So, exactly. You, you know, anybody who's available could be used, and you figure out Thursday on Thursday if you get there. So, I'm curious sure. if Glass now, if Snell, you know, who's all available. Um, Oliver Drake threw a couple innings today. He looked really good. Is he yeah. available or is he not now because he threw a couple innings, but they saved some other arms. So it'll be it'll be curious uh, how they roll out that bullpen against Verlander.
0: Yeah, they still have Nick Anderson who didn't pitch. Emilio Pagan, they've also had some days off. So pretty much everybody should be available. And, and they're even talking about if they got to a game five, could you possibly see Charlie Morton for an inning if you needed him? Same thing. That may be his bullpen, his normal – throw day in between mm-hmm. starts that he
1: could come in and pitch. You know, if it's an inning or two, you're not going to get right. 100 pitches at him at that point. But, no, you
0: know, you need an inning or two late. Yeah, no. well, we've seen him go several innings in the Game 7 of the World Series and win it for the Houston Astros. So, uh, they could only hope to get there, but they can't get there unless they win Game 4. But at least they didn't get shut out. They win Game 3. Exciting game. One of the most exciting games, I would think, that the Trop has had, and, um, you know, good for the race, good for this season to continue one more day, more memories to share. Uh, but, these guys have played their ass off, and, and they're giving Houston all they, all they can can count on. You know, if you go back to the game before, Steve, they had the bases loaded with nobody out and a chance to tie that ball game in the last they inning. They did. They had a chance to win it in the ninth. I mean, Absolutely. they had the bases loaded. Um, yeah, I mean,
1: once they got to the bullpen, I mean, Cole was – that I mean Verlander pitched well game one, Cole pitched phenomenal game two. Yeah. That was sure an incredible did. performance. But you know, the other thing that was cool about the Rays today was they got the lead early. And so the fans got to enjoy that all game long. Yes. They didn't have to come from behind late or zero zero into the seventh, which are exciting games, don't get me wrong. But the fans yeah. kind of got to celebrate all game as they they got the lead early and then kept building on it. And so it was right. it was great for the fans and they were they were loud, they were boisterous, they were it was it was fun.
0: I mean, that's they were as into it in the 10th run as they were in the third. Yes. You know what I mean? For the third run. I mean, they were really, they were really cool. And they, and they stood up and they clapped with two outs like there's, You know, I mean, these are baseball fans. They understand how the game is played. They understand the home field advantage. Just really neat listening to the players finally get to enjoy that because they get to face it everywhere they go throughout the major league baseball. And, and, but playoffs, it's a the sound is a little different, you know, it was different in Houston. It was certainly was different in Tropicana field. Um, I remember what it was like, you know, back when the Rays in 08 were in the American League Championship Series and the World Series. I mean, that that is a that is a sound that you just don't normally hear and it's it's sustainable and when you have a moment that can energize that place, the place just came alive and I think it certainly was a big impact in that game. So uh, very cool for the Rays, and uh, you know, hopefully, at least for another day, we can forget about all this other nonsense and just enjoy having a Major League Baseball team playing in the postseason in October, which is what really what baseball is all about. Meanwhile, I was at one Buck Place, or I guess the Advent Health Care Center, as they call it, and they need a little health care right now. We had a chance to uh, talk to DeMar Dotson. He, of course, came out of that game, their right tackle, with a hamstring injury. He entered the game, had not practiced uh, two of the three days uh, leading up to the game because of a calf injury. So his guess is that, you know, he had the left calf injury and then was probably overcompensating with his right leg, and that probably caused a hamstring strain. So now this guy who's in his 11th year, he'll turn 34 on Friday. The longest-tendered Buccaneer is probably not going to be available to play against Carolina in London. Uh, which means they will need a new right tackle, but that's not all. They're also going to need a new right guard because Alex Kappa, ouch, unbelievably in the second quarter. Yeah, it was a, the play we could narrow it down. Greg Albany, the Athletic and I were looking at this, and it looks like it was a, a in the second quarter. There's a screen pass. He get a, he got a pretty good shove at the line of scrimmage, but then when he got out to block, he kind of kind of came down awkwardly. He put his hand down to the turf sort of break his fall and it's possible that he might have broken it then Um, but in any case I guess it wasn't something he complained about enough to have x-ray during the game or he wouldn't have finished it he wound up playing the whole game with a broken arm and had it in a cast on Monday so he's going to be out for about four weeks so you know that, that this is not the time to be losing your best offensive lineman to say the least and it's not like you know they had the greatest of games in New Orleans when they gave up six sacks and you know, Dotson has struggled at times anyway. Uh, again, you know, in talking talking to DeMar, he's so damn honest. He's one of my favorite players I've ever covered, by the way, and one of the greatest stories in the NFL. But he uh, he was like, you know, Father Time has been knocking on my door. I just don't – I refuse to answer it. So <laughs> he's kind of like, I want to keep him on the other side for a little longer. I mean, this is probably his last year. He doesn't have a contract with the Bucks beyond this season. And, you know, I don't know that they won't be looking to find – you know, some offensive line help. It's it's just because he's been good and because they haven't drafted really that many offensive linemen beyond the third round uh, in quite a while, beyond, you know, uh, it, you know, it, it's you got to go back to 2015 and with Marpet and Donovan Smith that they really used high draft picks on offensive linemen. So it's time, right? They're going to have to start getting some guys. And, you know, this is uh, not going to be easy because you're playing a Carolina Panthers team that's, on a pretty good roll now, both offensively and defensively. And so, you know, you're going to be a little hamstrung, um, you know, trying to work some guys in. Earl Watford, who is somebody that Bruce Arians drafted in Arizona, he's kind of bounced around, kind of a journeyman uh, guard center type. He'll probably play or will start in place of Kappa at right guard. And then at right tackle, they're going to go with Josh Wells, who's a free agent from Jacksonville that they signed on September 10th. So he's been here uh, for about a month or so. So he's up to speed with the offense. And he had to come in that game the other day against the Saints and did okay. He's he's played some football. I mean, he started some games in his career. I think he'll be okay. I think he'll hold up all right. Um, but, again, you hate to lose your starters, especially on the entire side of the offensive line. And, you know, that, that'll that be a factor and something to watch going forward. As for the game, we talked to Bruce Arians. Not much really changed. They were bad on third down, clearly. They put themselves in some tough positions. I thought that Jameis Winston and I talked about this uh, on the pad podcast yesterday. That uh, you know he just got off to a bad start. They got off to a bad start as, a, as an offense. They couldn't get Mike Evans open. You know, uh, Mashar Lattimore did a really good job on him one on one. As it turns out, if you go back and watch the tape, there weren't a lot of chances. Maybe late in the game, but but Jameis by that time was under pressure. So you know they're going to have to do a better job of starting fast on the road, which they had been doing up until now. And then defensively, they got issues. I mean, they've now given up, you know, what, 32, 40, and 34 in the last three weeks. And that's that eclipses the 29 points per game they gave up a year ago, which was a historically awful defense. So well, It's not you know, good they got when your four, coach
1: calls you soft.
0: And they called him soft. And you know what? That's the worst thing, in in my opinion, in my, you know, sort of experience of covering the NFL, the worst thing you can be called is soft. Now, he meant the secondary. He didn't mean the entire defense. He meant the coverage primarily, not necessarily, you know, that these guys are not tough guys, because I'm here to tell you there's not a lot of guys that aren't tough in the NFL. Um, but uh they do need to come up and, and, and play a little tighter coverage and make plays on the football. And Vernon Hargraves, I think, is probably the first guy that you would point to because you know, we saw him make an interception early in the season against San Francisco, and we saw him make the key stop on Christian McCaffrey. Uh, in, on that Thursday night game. But really, other than those two plays, he's given up a, a hell of a lot of passing yards. And he's not made plays. And he did get the push off. You know, Michael Thomas clearly interfered. They didn't get that call. Arians wouldn't talk about that. He's still mad about it, obviously. Uh, and that was a key moment in the game. You know, the defense for three straight weeks, I think, has come out of the halftime and given up a touchdown. And you just can't do that to the point where Bruce Arians is thinking about now deferring, like most teams do, uh, to take the ball to start the second half, I mean, if you're not going to be able to stop anybody. So, you know, it's, it, it looks bleak. They've got some injuries. Uh, it's a week where they're going to have to leave uh, after practice on Thursday, fly eight and a half, nine hours to uh, London, have a couple hours to rest up and then begin practice over there. London time around 3.30, have a walkthrough on Saturday. They play the game Sunday, and they're back on the airplane or headed to the airport an hour after that final gun goes off. So it's a business trip and you know the players I talk to some have been over there some haven't but they're like you know what I'm and I was talking to Ali Marpet, he goes this is not how I want to see England I'm there to I'm there just to just play a football game he goes you know I'll go in the off season and really spend time over there and do some sightseeing and stuff he goes but we're not even there long enough to do anything my family will be able to do some stuff but they're just looking to get in get out try to get a win try to get back to 3 and 3 and I thought Bruce Arians said something interesting. He goes, "You know, if we have good leadership on this team, we won't lose two in a row." <laughs> so, and it's kind of been the pattern, I mean, unfortunately, you know, they lost one, lost one, lost. But they have got to get back to 500 because, you know, after this week, they'll get their bye week. They'll hopefully be able to get rested up. This travel, I'm telling you, is going is you know, it's wearing on me. I'm not playing the game, so I can only imagine what it's like for these guys. And I recognize they travel in charters and it's a little easier travel than your you know your typical businessman or what have you or or journalist that follows the team but it's still a lot of air miles and it's still a lot of time zones and different countries and you know all sorts of patterns that are that are kind of thrown off although they got a sports science group that's on top of this but but this will be a fatiguing trip and they'll need that week off and then it's at tennessee and then at seattle another long trip to the west coast so by the time they get done there, if this team is 4-4, and I'd take my hat off to them and say, okay, good job. You guys are still in this as long as you're around 500. But now you're starting to see the Saints separate a little bit. They're 4-1. and Teddy Bridgewater is 3-0. and um, You know, the Carolina Panthers haven't lost since Cam Newton went down. They're 3-0 and since then. So you can't afford to fall further behind and, and have only, you know, Look out below the Atlanta Falcons, who are probably really close to firing Dan Quinn at this point. So, you know, huge game, and and you know what I like about Arians is he admits it. You know, he said, "No, this is this is a really big game. Like we need to win this game in the worst way just to keep pace." So, we'll see what they can do on offense. They got some problems. They're going to have to find ways to get Mike Evans involved. You can't let teams take you out of uh, you know take him out of the game plan. OJ Howard has disappeared. Cam Brayton only plays about twenty twenty four percent of the snaps. Uh, they can't. They don't have a third receiver because Bashard Perriman's been hurt. Scotty Miller wasn't able to do anything. So they got issues that they got to iron out, and they got a short week to do it in. Uh, this will be an interesting trip and an important one for the Bucks, who haven't been back to England since 2011. So it's been quite a, quite a while since they've been uh, across the pond, as they say. All right. Before we wrap up, we have to talk about the Florida Gators. Uh, I was so impressed with their win over Auburn on Saturday. You know, Kyle Trask keeps proving more and more to me that uh, this guy's a big-time stud player. <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he may not make it to the NFL and, and he may not have the strongest arm or, or the pedigree. And I know he didn't start a game. It's still an incredible story they did on game day about him. You know, his last start coming in his freshman year in high school, which is just unbelievable that he, that he found his way to Florida. Uh, but, you know, he took that hit and he had the, uh, what, the MCL sprain. He toughed it out. And they win that football game with some big plays on both sides of the ball. The defense came to play, man. Those guys were just terrific. Yeah, that that
1: that is an elite defense in college football. I mean, mm-hmm. they 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 have some studs back there. And then Florida's defense for years has been really good. To be honest, I mean, it has been. It's look. It, I mean, you know, the coaches in the absence must champ, but you know, Jim McElwain was supposed to fix the offense. He never did. But the defense stayed right. tremendous there and has kept them in most of their games. Um, mm-hmm. It's still continuing now under Dan Mullen. That defense is really, really good, and and that's what really won the game. But Kyle Trask has has done a phenomenal job so far, and Felipe Franks even saying that you know his future at Florida is in question, and a lot of that's because yeah, of I, how I, well Trask yeah. is playing.
0: I think that's part of it. I mean, he did have a couple of fumbles. You know, you'd like to see him try to hang out on the ball a little bit more uh, with two hands if he can. So that's obviously part of it. But their ability to complement that defense, run the football effectively when they needed mm-hmm. to, they got the big splash plays. Uh, he got the ball out of his hands. You know the speed of, of some of those Florida, um, you know, athletes. I mean, getting the ball in their hands and letting them uh, run after the catch and stuff like that is so huge. But uh, he showed he showed some real toughness and um, even caught a pass. As a matter of fact, even after his knee injury, which was weird. I thought oh, that's a strange call to make now. Um, but the Gators, you know, here was you talk about atmosphere, Steve, and we talked about the trop and how it felt. Florida field. When it's rocking like it was on Saturday, there is no tougher place to play. I know people talk about Death Valley. Well, and just wait till this Saturday. The big... Wait till this Saturday yeah, night. Well, yeah, no, I mean, and I've been there. I mean, I'm telling you, LSU, especially for a night game when the bourbon's been flowing for about eight hours, eight. And it's bourbon, folks.
1: That's being kind. It's more well, than I'm being kind.
0: Those are just the those are just the writers that cover the team. But I'm just saying, um, yeah, the, the students and the alumni would be out there before that. But they're not drinking beer. <laughs> this is not. No, make no mistake. This is the hard stuff, man. Yeah, they're, they're going to be well elubed by the time kickoff comes at, at Tiger Stadium. It's going to be. You think Florida was loud. It'll be just as loud in Tiger Stadium. But, again, college game day will be there two weeks in a row for a Florida Gators the game. the third
1: time this season for the Gators.
0: Yeah. Because they, they had Tremendous. the opening
1: week uh, with the, in Orlando at Disney World yeah. for Miami and Florida. Yeah. So.
0: And you know what that does? That helps recruiting, man. Absolutely. It just does. I mean, those kids watch that. They see the excitement. They go to those games. They see college game day. They want their teams, you know, in playing in the big games at night, as this one will be on ESPN at night. So, you know, that's really cool. And and, and that's how you know that Florida is on its way back under, uh, you know, under Dan Mullen. And, um, you know, who knows? I mean, listen, from the teams I've seen, I know Alabama is very, very good. Uh, Clemson to me has taken a step back this year for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And it's still early, right? Uh, yep. They may not find themselves because the ACC is so weak, they may not find themselves in a playoff situation. But I'll say the best team I've seen is LSU this year. Uh, their quarterback, Joe Burrow, has been phenomenal. He's, a, he's an NFL-caliber quarterback, and yep. I don't say that lightly. Uh, he's been tremendous, and they've got a, a fast team, obviously, good defense, lots of skilled players. This is going to be their toughest test for sure. But if somehow Florida can get past LSU and win this game, and I'm, I'm not sure that I would – again bet the mortgage on it but that Georgia game i mean that's for all the marbles at that point i mean you know you're you've now suddenly got yourself into almost a national you know championship conversation if you're going to play in the sec you know title game against alabama i mean that's that's sort of the rare air that florida's you know kind of heading towards but well put it this um, way had
1: auburn beaten florida i could have easily made the case and if i had a vote would have put auburn number 1 in the country if you look at you the would game, have a
0: legitimate case. For, yeah. for
1: what they've played. Now, Florida beat them. And if Florida beats LSU, you've got a case to make Florida number one team in the country, to be honest. You, you, you could. You I mean, I, could. Don't know if, I don't know if writers will put the coaches they're better over than Alabama. Than Alabama but I'm not saying yeah. they're better, but Alabama hasn't played
0: anybody yet. I think Ohio State – my eyeball test tells me Ohio State's probably number two if they're not number one. I,
1: yeah, I think – I think uh, look, I think it's Alabama, it's LSU, it's Ohio State and Oklahoma at the top four right now. Take, exactly, your, take your pick exactly. of the order. Clemson's exactly. good, but they're – Playing to their Not level great. of competition at this point, which That's is pretty right. bad in the ACC. And I think Florida's right there on the cusp, too.
0: Yep. Yep. But they would certainly be in the conversation for the top four spot uh, if they're able to win this game. So good for the Florida Gators. Your Cincinnati Bearcats, uh, they took away the national championship so from So are UCF, the Bearcats I'm now sorry. the
1: national champions? That's my
0: question. Well, they beat I mean, UCF. I guess – Yeah, well – I mean, they can get the license plates there in Ohio, can't they? Can they put those on their? Li- I don't know. I don't how know. That Since Ohio, Ohio State beat
1: them this year, I don't know if you can. But
0: oh, that's true. Forty-five to nothing. Yeah, that wasn't good. Yeah, no, it was ugly. I'll tell you who needed a win though and got it. Charlie Strong.
1: Yeah, well, against Connecticut, you better get that win. <laughs>
0: exactly, because if you don't, that you would've... might as
1: well just stay there. Don't even get on the plane back, because that's an awful well, Connecticut team.
0: That would have been his, his, you know, his Kansas. Like he lost to a Texas that would have gotten him booted. I think, but. uh but they managed to put a lot of points up there, and, and they mm-hmm. got the job done. And so, you know, you got to give credit where credit is due at least. Florida State's going to play at Clemson. Uh, again, Clemson's not playing to the level they have in the past, but still a very difficult game for Florida State, to say the very least. Mm-hmm. So, Willie Taggart's team will be back in action. We'll have plenty USF of college USF will football.
1: host BYU, which is a non-conference yeah, that, game. And BYU's not as strong tough. as they have been in the past, but still a favorite uh, in this game.
0: Yeah, they're better than uh, – they're better than uh, – better than usf for sure in my opinion i think they'll have their hands full so uh, it's a legitimate legitimate team you'd have to take down if you're the bulls maybe they can build on the momentum they got from beating UConn. so lots of college football this weekend of course we're going to talk to matt baker our college football writer at the tampa bay times and uh we'll have him on this week so boy we got Rays baseball playoff baseball to talk about the bucks getting ready for their trip across the pond to england to play the Carolina Panthers, more college football. So keep it right here on Sports Day. Lightning are struggling right now. Yeah, what's going on there?
1: Uh, they shoot the puck. Ah, they went 25 it. minutes the other night without shooting the puck. How
0: is that even possible? Against this
1: Carolina, they had a 3-1 lead. In the
0: last two periods in overtime, they had two shots let me get let me let me take a guess cuz i didn't see the games they're trying to make the perfect pass in the in the fancy play they are some but they're not controlling
1: the puck i mean they're they're not they're not con- i mean carolina c- took control no, of that game time, right? took yeah took control of possession and took control of that game and the lightning just couldn't get it back and so they're 1-1 one, yeah. one, and 1 through the first th- uh, three games so 3 points in 3 games and Steven Stamkos, I the captain. You know, call, yeah, he called yeah. a lot of, called them all out. I'm mean, not by name individually because I think he'll put himself in there too. But you know, they're not mm-hmm. everything they've talked about not committing the dumb penalties and making the smarter play. They're not doing it right now.
0: So, yeah, he sounded like he was frustrated. He says, "We're tired of talking about it. We need to just do it. If we don't, it's going to be a very, very, very long year. Uh, three varies, I think he had in that sentence. So, yeah, tough start for the Lighting, but. There, you know, there's a lot of games to play, and they're so skilled, it's hard to imagine that they'll, they'll stay down for it very is, long. but the next but, four know. on
1: the road, and then, I mean, this yeah. first, I think it's four of the first 19 or, or four of the first 15 games on the road, I think it is, mm-hmm. including that trip to Sweden. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They'll play two games against the Sabres. So, you know, the schedule's not helping them. Uh, they came yeah. home for a couple of days in the middle of this road trip. It's actually a six-game road trip over two weeks. They don't play again until yeah. Thursday. So, at Sunday, they came home after the Carolina game, and they'll head up to Toronto on Wednesday. But they need to, they need to
0: bank some wins here. Every year is different. You can't carry it over. You can't carry over what you did in the regular season. It's all new. You've got new players, new team, new dynamics, new everything. So you got to make your own path. That's what that's what it's about. You're back at the bottom of the mountain again, and it's all about you know who's going to put in the work to get to the postseason and then see how you do after that. So. Uh, Lightning just getting started, playoff baseball, college football in, in the height. Now it's the NFL starting to be really serious as we get into the second month. This is the best time of the year in sports, in my opinion. We'll have it all here on Sports Day Tampa Bay. For Steve Ersnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well?